Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Folks, our desire is that we can incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit in power, reviving His Church here in West Michigan, but also in our state and our nation, and then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But for that to happen, it's just critical that first we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. We're excited to have Israel Wayne with us on our podcast today. Well, what a privilege for me to welcome a, a dear friend, Israel Wayne. We haven't been in each other's physical presence, but we keep track of you quite a bit uh, with all the many things you've been doing. Uh, I like uh, the little bio that was sent to me. He starts out saying he's the father of 11, and he's passionate about defending the Christian faith and developing a biblical worldview. Uh, Israel Wayne is the director of Family Renewal. He's an international speaker, author of some books, including Questions God Asks and Questions That Jesus Asks, among others. And you can find more at their website, www.familyrenewal.org. So welcome, Israel. Thanks for joining oh. me today. Well, thank you, brother. It's a blessing to get to reconnect with you here. We got to start with the most important thing. 11 kids. How many boys and girls you got? We have, we just had a tiebreaker uh, about seven oh. months ago. So uh, our oldest is now 21, uh, okay. which is amazing. And yeah. our youngest is seven months. And so we had five and five. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a little girl. So we now have a girl dominated household and we've got six little girls and uh, five young men and um, they, they keep us busy in a delightful way. Oh, that's so good. Well, you know, Marcia and I only have 12 children. We only end up with the, we didn't do it even though. We started actually with four girls, which is kind of amazing. We ended up with uh, seven girls, five boys, almost, almost made it even, but it was kind of funny. Remember when we had 11, like you have, and all, every time, you know, between pregnancies, you know, Marcia and I would go on a date and uh, I'd say, well, Marcia, what, what you, what's your hopes? And, she, you know, if, if, it, if the youngest one was getting up there, uh, she I would, I'd love to have another baby. I said, well, if that's what God wants. That's fine with me. But finally, when we got to 11, I just figured that's just not a good number to end on. You know, there's 12 <laughs> disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> you want to be spiritual about it. <laughs> I said, God, you know, we really need to have another. Let, let, 12 is the number. It doesn't. There you go. You know, so we'll see where it goes with you guys. But uh, that's right. so that that's that's a gift. And again, you've it, it's 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 a challenge having one child these days, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's one of the reasons that we do what we do uh, with family renewal. We just see a lot of families that uh, struggle in so many ways, and God's been good to our family. Uh, we've been really blessed in, in many ways. The Lord's blessed us with a wonderful marriage and a good relationship with all of our children. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily come from a, a perfect background myself. You know, my parents were divorced, and I had mm. abusive stepfather, and, you know, so I kind of come from some yuck. Uh, but God redeemed that. And so I feel like I've been given much and to whom much is given much is required. And so I feel grateful that I have an opportunity to kind of give back and to provide some encouragement for, for families um, mm. who are struggling. And uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of families out there that are really, 
yeah. really having a rough go. And, and I think yeah. the last couple of years here with this whole COVID pandemic mm-hmm. has uh, created a whole new scenario uh, for families where um, people have been thrown together who are used to kind of living independent lives Mm -hmm. and so that's created some unique uh dynamics now as well where they're they're having to figure out how to work things out and they've just been able to avoid each other prior to this and so it's uh, it's created a new scenario for a lot of people well i want to get to that but I, i think it might be helpful just to take a minute or two just to describe how did god redeem you you say it didn't come up of course none of us came from a perfect background but you had a, a challenging one. Well, what did yeah. God do in your life? How did he get you to bring healing to your life so that you're able to not pass on that brokenness to, to your wife, to your children? Yeah, one of the things I'm really thankful for is that I had a close relationship with the Lord from the time that I was little. And uh, my mother was not a believer um, she did not become a Christian until I was 12, mm. but uh, from, from the time I was just a little guy, you know, I just had an awareness of the nearness and the presence of the Lord in my life. How did that happen, Israel? What, what? I, I, was, I was in church. You know, my mom would, okay. would send us to church. Uh, oh. She didn't go to church herself, but I think she felt like uh, we need a little religion in our life. And so um, my sister and I, uh, my older sister, Sony, and I, we would go to church every time the doors were open, wow. uh, particularly, you know, when my parents got divorced and I was six, and my, my mom remarried a guy who was uh, not only not a Christian, but was very physically abusive. Mm, and, I'm sorry. Uh, I lived with him for the next nine years wow. until I was 15. Mm. And, you know, you think about how formative that is, that that six to 15 year old yes. age range yes. in terms of yes. establishing your identity and your concepts of manhood and yeah. everything that I saw in terms of what a marriage was supposed to look like or yeah. what fatherhood was supposed to look like for my stepfather, you know, it was just all negative. And, mm-hmm. um, but I had this just abiding sense of the hand of God in my life and, uh, you know, look to the Lord, uh, early mm-hmm. and was, was in the word of God myself, you know, as even as a child, um, learning the scriptures and, so I, I just, you know, have to credit the grace of God. My mom became a Christian when I was 12 and had a pretty radical uh, conversion. And then when my stepfather left when I was 15, uh, by that time, my, my mom had um, had myself and, and five sisters. So I no grew up kidding. the only guy wow. in, a, in a house with five sisters. But um, then it was sort of like we had to regroup and learn how to try to be a family. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the faith of my mom was a big influence um, on me seeing how radically her life was changed. And um, she uh, had always homeschooled us early, mm-hmm. but when she became a Christian, it took on a very different dynamic. Sure. And she became, you know, very intense about wanting to help us to, to learn how to think and live biblically. Hmm. And so, um, and then she started a publishing company, uh, which uh, included a, a national homeschool magazine, which became the, the nation's longest running Christian homeschool magazine. And she mm. ended up publishing a uh, women's magazine and a, uh, a magazine on uh, revival and spiritual awakening. Wow. So I grew up, uh, you know, my teen years, you know, in this um, publishing business and got to learn the Christian publishing industry. Mm. I got to learn, um, you know, just being in a kind of a ministry context, uh, working with people who 
were in full-time ministry on a lot of different levels, learned yeah. a ton. And so I started working for her business, spent 20 years there as a director of marketing for mm. her publishing company, okay. uh, which grew to where, you know, we had a mailing list of about 50,000 people. So Amazing. it wasn't huge, but you know, it was, it was not nothing either. It was, yeah. uh, you know, it was, an, it was a significant uh, outreach that, that I was involved in for 20 years. And then, um, you know, about eight years ago, um, my wife and I uh, started Family Renewal with my older sister, Sony. And uh, I just wanted to be full time in writing and speaking. Sure. Because I felt like I was spending 60 hours a week in a publishing job, yeah. know, I was mm-hmm. publishing everybody else's stuff, and I didn't have time to, to develop sure. and create my own. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but back to the question. So, so that kind of, you know, was the career track of how I got where I have professionally. Yeah. But, but I think from a, a personal spiritual standpoint, I remember at 15 when my stepfather had left uh, and just going through a lot of turmoil in my own heart about why God had allowed the last nine years yes, uh, and all the physical abuse that I had endured and, and mental and psychological and, mm-hmm. and emotional and verbal abuse as well. Yeah. Um, just trying to, to process that because I had a theological grid. And I knew that God is sovereign, right? right? So yep. he's in control of all things and he's all powerful. So had he wanted to, he could have intervened and could have prevented all of that in my life. And so I, I had this struggle within me, this sort of existential struggle of if God is all knowing and he's all powerful, then he could have prevented this, but he chose not to. And I couldn't find a good reason logically mm-hmm. in my okay. mind for why sure. that Sure, I get, I get so, it. So what I began to question was the goodness of God. Yep. You know, not that, that God, I, I never doubted any of the, uh, the, the attributes of God in terms of uh, his capacity, but I just felt like maybe God just doesn't really care mm. personally. Like yeah, what happens sure. to me? Sure, Because it doesn't feel like God really cares. Yeah. And um I remember having an experience and, and I'm in, interestingly, I'm not, I would not define myself or describe myself overall as a, as an experiential kind of Christian. I tend to be more of a cerebral Christian. I love Christian apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love having answers that make sense sure. to things, sure. but I had an experience when I was 15 uh, at a church meeting where I was just wrestling with God, uh, which is kind of ironic because it's one of the meanings of my name, Israel. The one who wrestles and one who wrestles. That's right. Very yeah. appropriate. Very appropriate. Yeah. And I was doing that in this church meeting and, and just saying, you know, why? Like, I would really like some answers. And God just came in this, you know, personal, subjective, experiential and emotional way and just bathed me in his love. Wow. And and let me know that he he loved me. Was and that in I, a church or was that at home? It was a where, church. Where was it was it? a church service. Okay, but it had nothing to do with the sermon. You know, there was just I don't even know what the sermon was about. But whatever it was, I wasn't connected to it. <laughs> I was I was connected to a conversation with God, and and just saying, you know, I, I would like some answers here. And I never got answers. And I, I've as the older I've gotten as a Christian, I've I've kind of learned that. <laughs> you know, those why questions, uh, we don't usually get the answer to the why question unless there's something specific that God wants us to change. You know, like, well, why am I having these financial difficulties? Well, stop gambling. You know, like you get, sometimes you get answers to the why questions if there's right. something God wants you to change. Yeah. But when it's a situation where 
you haven't sinned, you haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, you're not to blame for this. You don't usually get like Job, right? You don't usually get the answer to the why question. Yeah. You just yeah. get the revelation of who God is. Yeah. And him saying, I'm sufficient in this. But but I needed to to feel that God knew about what had happened and that it wasn't meaningless and that it was important to him. Yeah. And I remember just sitting and sobbing and weeping wow. for a long time. And when I finally kind of came to and just stopped, like everybody had cleared out of the sanctuary. Like there were only maybe a couple of people off in the, the perimeters, you know, sure. talking quietly or whatever. I was just alone wow. with God, just having this conversation. And I just remember coming away from that, having been, I, I just kind of cried it all out. And I hadn't cried, man, since. I didn't even know when, you know, since sure. I was a little bitty kid, I just become very hard, sure. uh, you know, to, to have resistance against the kind of abuse that I lived with. And, uh, and I just, I just cried for could have been an hour. I don't know. But when I came out on the other side of that, just with this sense of, you know what, I don't have to have the answers to this. I, I can trust that God is good and that whatever he's allowed in my life, he's allowed yeah. for a purpose. Yes. And it yes. was, it was coming out of that, that I, I just told him like, you're going to have to teach me how to be what I need to be because I know all the statistics, you know, and you used to work in the jud judicial system, you know, the statistics too, about, right. you know, sure. how those who grow up in those kinds of contexts often repeat the cycle. Yep. And I knew that, and I didn't want to do that. And so I just prayed and said, God, you know, if at some point in the future, I'm supposed to get married and have a family, you're going to have to fundamentally change who I am on the inside because yeah. I don't have the capacity to yes. stop being angry. Yeah, I, don't I have get the it. Capacity to, yeah. to overcome that within myself. You're going to sure. have to do something supernatural yeah. for me. And, and God took me through a process of, of two things. I, I think, you know, supernaturally healing me on the inside. Mm -hmm. but then teaching me how to walk according to the principles of scripture wow. to overcome, especially addictive, habitual anger. Sure. The scripture says to note an angry man and stay away from him, lest you learn his ways and become like him. That's right. Because, because anger is, is addictive and it's, and it's and opens it's the door to Satan also opens the door to the enemy. Does it, it does? Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, but God was really good. I, I got married when I was 23. My wife was 20. Uh, we're coming up on our, our 23rd uh, wedding anniversary coming up here in January. And uh, we just had a beautiful marriage. And uh, God has given me the family that I wish that I had had growing up, you know, given us the marriage that my parents didn't have. And mm -hmm. uh, so I feel spoiled rotten, to be honest. I just feel like um, mm. God's just, you know, God's been better to all of us than we deserve. That's <laughs> but... true. That's so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm real careful i don't say to god i don't deserve this yeah uh, <laughs> if we really got what we that. deserve we'd go to a very hot place for a very long time wouldn't that's we right israel yeah but i i feel super blessed uh, and really uh, I'm just oh that's wonderful and don't you think that your background painful as it was is it gives you a platform to help so many families that, that are hurting. Again, there's no perfect families, but to help so many people that deal with bitterness and anger and abuse of all different kinds. In fact, I got a phone call this morning from a young lady who 
uh, we've known in the past. And she's just, she cries every time she calls me about her background. And I just try to bring her to the point where she, she just trusts that God's going to, going to heal her and get her through. But I mean, there's so many people hurting yeah. and, and because of your background, you're able to really identify with people. But uh, it's really amazing what God did in your life. I, I had a quick question, though. You, you yeah. say that you had a real eagerness to be close to God, even when you were younger, like five and so on. Was somebody praying for you, do you think? A grandparent, you know, someone else? Um, <clears throat> so my grandparents on both sides were Christians. I never met my grandfather because he, um, uh, he passed away before I was born. Okay. My dad's dad. I never met him. But my, uh, my mom's parents were not Christians when she was growing up. So she was okay. not raised in a Christian home. Right. Uh -huh. She was kind of a hippie, to be honest. I mean, that Got was it. her background. <laughs> uh, she, she left home when she was like 15 and just kind sure. of lived the hippie lifestyle. Yep. But in their early 40s, my grandparents were saved. Okay. And so right about the time that my older sister was born, she was two years older than me. Yep. But so when we were born, and we didn't really know them, too much growing up because they sure. lived in in southwest michigan yep. and we lived in maryland at the time okay. i grew up in western maryland yeah so i didn't know them very well i met them a couple of times but didn't really know them but um they, but they really were genuinely born again and my grandfather became an elder in his church um they developed a, a music ministry because they were professional musicians when they got saved, you know, they used to sing in honky tonks and clubs and all that sure, and quit doing sure. that. No more bars. Yeah. And they, they wrote their own gospel songs, recorded yeah. albums and things like that. But my grandparents, I know for a fact, um, prayed for us. See, I think I see and, such a uh, correlation, Israel. When people say what you said is that somehow I had this hunger for God is that I see a correlation between parents or grandparents that are earnestly praying for that child. My wife yeah. is that way. She was raised in a non-Christian home, but her grandparents were Christians and they prayed for, for my wife. And she had this hunger for God that, that continues to this. Day. She loves, she's an evangelist, loves sharing the gospel with others. So, you know, those that are listening to this, don't despair, you know, yes. keep praying for those kids, grandkids, others that you just wonder if they'll ever, you know, be saved or come to salvation and so on. It, those prayers are not lost that's that right so good that's yeah so it's good. so powerful and we got to become friends really close friends with my mom's parents uh, uh who uh, my grandfather just passed away in january yep, of this year yep. uh but but god uh definitely used them in our, our lives and i think sometimes grandparents significantly underestimate the power of influence yes that they have in their grandchildren's lives i think grand grandparents have way more influence than they think they do and that's really, that's profound. That's yeah. really profound. All right. So your ministry is going out and, you know, and helping families, parents, and so on, which is awesome. Such a need. I mean, our culture, let's just talk about, it. I mean, the pressures of our culture, the schools that kids attend, the, the messages that they get, just, just the, you know, here we have these, these phones that we, we carry with us all the time, you know, the, that have all these messages and our kids, you know, are getting these texts from others and the pornography that exists and so on. And is there hope for, for parents of, of kids? I mean, some parents might say, you know what? Or some adults might say, we're not going to have any kids. It's just too scary, too dangerous. So let's just, let's just kind of wait till the Lord comes again and respond to that sort of an, an attitude, would you? you know, people said that back when I was a little kid, 
Yeah. You know, they said back in the in the 80s, you know, the late 70s and 80s. I mean, particularly during the Carter administration, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, we don't want to bring a kid into this world, these economic yeah. uncertainties. And, yeah. you know, you have just all these, uh, there's always a, an excuse, right? There's always a reason why yeah. it's too bad and too terrible a place. And that's right. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that I'm here today. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, one thing I'm seeing that's super encouraging is that there are families who are being led along and they don't even realize that they're being led along. Mm-hmm. But God is turning the hearts of parents to children and the hearts of children to parents. And even in this uh, COVID situation, um, you know, you just look at like the homeschooling movement, for, uh-huh. for example. Right. Um, it doubled. Uh, and that's not just COVID. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big portion of it. But there are a lot of evangelical Christian families who are being driven out of the schools, not just by masks and vaccine issues, but by these, these uh, drag queen story hour yeah. situations and yeah. the transgender bathroom yeah. situation mm-hmm. uh, in the schools and uh, the LGBTQ indoctrination right. in the textbooks. And, uh, you know, just so many things that are, are ramped up beyond what they ever have been in the past. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not been good for quite a while. But it's now just, you know, kids coming home and uh, saying, you know, I'm not male. I'm, I consider myself to be a female. Right. Uh, seeking reassignment surgeries and things like this. And, and people are experiencing this even in the church. I've, I've heard multiple reports of this, even in Christian churches where, mm-hmm. you know, nine-year-old and 11-year-old children uh, are being encouraged in the schools to, um, to, to seek, uh, reassignment surgeries and yes. things like this. Yes. It's just, uh, off the charts. It, and so, so you know, we're seeing families that are, are seeing the, the need that they have to actually take responsibility for discipling their own children. Mm. And that's a huge part of my message, uh, because you look at all the statistics, whether it's Lifeway or Pew Research or Barna or whoever right. it is, and, Every one of them says 70% of all young people are leaving the Christian faith that are raised in Christian homes and churches, you know, abandoning Christianity by their high school graduation and saying, we don't want any part of this 70% fallout. Mm-hmm. And um, they've expected the youth pastor to disciple their kids. They've expected mm-hmm. uh, the Sunday school teacher to disciple their kids. And mm-hmm. it's just not getting done. And so I have this message that says, if you want to see your child have a relationship with Christ, and of course we have no control over that. Yeah, that's right. It's very clear about that. We're not responsible for outcomes. That's right. We're only responsible for inputs. That's right. But we are responsible for input. Yeah. So what what input do you suggest to You have to keep the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in. You know, it's very much like gardening, I think, Mm. where, you know, there's all this uh, bad stuff out there that wants to attack your child from the world. And you have to cut out as much of that as possible. But then you also have to create a soil that is conducive for spiritual mm. growth. Okay. And so, you know, the things that we know to do, we usually don't do. Mm. So, you know, even things like just daily uh, Bible devotions with your uh-huh. family. I think most Christians have heard of that concept. Right. Almost none do it. That's true. And so sometimes it's not so much that we don't know what to do as much as that we're just not faithful to walk out obedience with things that we know we should do. Yep. And, and the statistics now on media consumption are that, um, the average 
teenagers spend seven and a half hours a day in screen time uh, after school. Yep. You know, so they're spending like seven hours a day in school. And for 85 percent of those young people, they're in an anti-Christian school. Right. Uh, so, you know, they're they're getting indoctrinated mm-hmm. in, a, in a not a neutral worldview, but an anti-Christian worldview. True. Then they come home and they plug into electronic and digital media for another seven and a half hours. You're looking at like for some of them, 15 hours a day of anti-christian indoctrination Mm -hmm. and then you look at like the the 2020 u.s labor statistics Mm -hmm. from the census bureau they just came out with the uh, engagement of parents with their children it turns out that mothers now spend an hour a day interacting with their children and fathers only spend 29 minutes a day interacting with their children and and yet, uh, you know, they all there's also a new study that just came out in 2020 that says that the average parent watches four hours of television every night. Wow. And and has a total of seven and a half hours of screen time themselves in digital media. Mm. So, you know, you ask dads, well, why don't you spend more time with your kids? And they say, well, I don't have time. I'm a busy yeah. man. I'm too busy. Mm. I, I work. You know, I don't have time but they're spending 29 minutes a day with their kids and they're spending four hours every night watching Netflix yeah. uh, or television. Yep. And yep. so it's not that they don't have the time. It's that yep. they don't allocate it. That's right. And, and then they, they have their kids, you know, plugged into uh, the media of the world, even if they're raising them in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barna said something like there's only 2% of young people that have a different media palette than their non-Christian friends. Wow. That means like 98% of them are being raised by Eminem and Katy Perry and, you know, uh, Taylor Swift and just the, the music and, and yeah. the movies of the world and, and yeah. the same violent video games and all yep. that. Yep. So yep. parents have just got to learn how to buy back time. And because I always say that, that the most important factor and in influence is time. So they have to buy that back, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, any, whatever way you can get it. Uh, school is a massive chunk. And entertainment, digital media is a massive chunk. And so as a parent, I want, I want to own that time. I want yeah. that time that I own for influence, potential influence. Yeah. yeah. But then I often tell parents, it's not just a matter of keep your kids home all day. You have to make sure that you're actually investing in them with encouragement and positive affirmation so that they actually like you and they, they want to be around you yeah. and they see you as and example, you know, I used to have this little sign in my, I was a juvenile court judge, as you know, for 15 years, you know, teach by your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the parent that tells his kid, do what I say, not what I do. I mean, I, 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 I could say, I'll tell you stories of parents who are shoplifting. Then they get surprised when they're, when their kids go out and break into a house. Yeah. Oh, what's your problem, kid? Or the, you know, the parent, you know, you know, smokes a little dope or whatever, and the kid starts using hard drugs. I mean, come on. You know, what, what parents excuse in moderation, kids will take to excess. They'll take another degree. So again, no parents are perfect. Yeah. But we, we want to mirror as best we can a, a, a healthy marriage a, that I love my wife, that she respects and loves me. And, and, and that when, when, when we blow it, when I, don't keep my word to my five-year-old that expects me to take him fishing today, but I got into something else. I, I say those three hardest words in the English language. 
I was wrong. <laughs> Would you forgive me? You know, being real. Yeah. So showing it, you know, certainly teaching, but teaching by my life as well. Don't you agree that, that our yeah, example absolutely. is so important? Absolutely. I was actually for six years, a juvenile center chaplain. No kidding. Yeah. And so I used what, to work What, what county? Kids. What county? Uh, Berrien County. Okay, sure. Yeah, down in Southwest Michigan. Yeah. And uh, so, so I would meet with these kids. And I remember the rich kids would get arrested for stealing. They would steal ATVs or oh, yeah. hijack cars or, you know, yeah. or, or just shoplifting sure. or whatever. And I remember sometimes their dads would, uh, would come down and, and see them. And I'd hear the conversations. And they'd say, why are you doing this? Look, I buy you everything. Uh-huh. I give you everything. And, and, you know, you, you don't want to cross those boundaries, but sometimes I just wanted to walk up and say, look, your, your kid's a spoiled little rich kid. He's not stealing because he needs anything. He's stealing because he wants your attention. There you go. And he oh. doesn't have it. And I remember asking wow. uh, young people in juvie, yeah. um, what's your relationship with your dad like? Yeah. yeah. It was like this informal survey that yes. I would ask. And yes. I remember out of maybe 300 young people that I asked that question, yeah. only two yeah. ever said, yeah, I have a good relationship with my dad. I, I saw all that the all the time. Them, my dad, I never see him. He works all the time. He's abusive. Yep. Uh, I never knew my dad. Yep. Uh, my mom has a revolving door of boyfriends. I mean, yep. it was the only common oh, denominator. Yeah, in juvenile I, I saw that. I'd say up. at least 80% of the kids I saw juvenile delinquents were from a, a, a home without a dad. Yep. Okay. And probably the rest were from a dad that wasn't much involved. Angry or abusive. And that's, that's his, we, we fathers have an incredible influence on our children. Again, like you say, we can't guarantee we're responsible for the input and they are free to choose how to respond to it. And some of them are off for a while, but then they come back later, uh, which especially through prayer, the power of prayer just blows me away. I, the logical part of my, my brain, my left side, which is bigger than the right side for me, does not get prayer. Okay. Mm-hmm. In other words, God is no, God knows everything. He loves me. Why doesn't he just you do it? Because he <laughs> wants that relationship with me and he wants me to ask. You have not because you ask not. You know, it's just he wants us to, to come to him as a as his child and, and love him and and ask him and, and be persistent in those prayers as well. Uh, well, 11, one more thing that I want to just mention on, you know, part of my vision for yeah. family renewal is that I believe that you're never going to have functional godly churches and see spiritual awakening and revival until you see spiritual awakening and revival in the hearts of individuals. Yes. But, but, but in families, because churches are made up of individuals and families. That's profound. And, the yes. reason we don't worship well congregationally is because we don't worship privately and personally. Mm. The reason we don't pray well as a church is because we don't pray individually. Wow. Um, the reason that we have dysfunctional churches is that we have dysfunctional homes and dysfunctional yes. hearts. Yes. yes. And so, you know, this whole, and we know that in terms of a national spiritual awakening or revival, you'll never see that until you have praying churches who have repentant hearts. Yes. And so there's, there's just things historically, and I know you study this extensively yeah. uh, and have written about it and talked about it so much that we'll never see national spiritual awakening until there's a brokenness uh, within the church and we yes. see our need for God. Yes. 
But we don't get there unless that begins in the hearts and homes. And it's so, going to start right here, right here, right? That's right. And so that's a big part of, I think, what, what I'm seeing that I'm actually encouraged about is that I'm seeing uh, God turning the hearts of parents, their children and children to the, the parents. And, and we know the Malachi 4, 6 passage, yes, yes. that's the famous one yes. where he says, if this doesn't happen, I'll strike the earth with a curse. Yep. But the, the, the verse that we don't tend to think about as much as is the New Testament one there in Luke 1, 17, you have this 400 year gap where yep. God goes silent and there's no revelation. Mm -hmm. But then when God starts speaking again in the New Testament, you know, the very first chapter of Luke, you know, this, this new era yep, of the New yep. Testament and the revelation of Jesus, um, the, you have this reiteration where God says, I'll turn the hearts of fathers to children, children to fathers. And then he gives a couple of promises rather than a promise of a covenant curse. He gives some covenant blessings. And he says that he will uh, turn the wicked and disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Now that's what we want to see in terms of revival, right? We want to see yeah. the wicked and disobedient in our culture turn to the wisdom of the just or the wisdom mm. of the righteous. Wow. And then the second thing he says is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Mm. So there's two covenant promises that, you know, if this doesn't happen, the earth will be struck with a curse. But if it yeah. does happen and we have this reintegration of godly families then we'll see the wicked and disobedient in the culture seeking out the wisdom of the righteous. I think the reason that the world hasn't been seeking out the wisdom of the righteous mm -hmm. is because our divorce rate is almost as high as theirs. It is. The fallout rate of our youth is astronomical. Yeah. Uh, we're more in debt than the world is. I mean, yeah. our financial picture is worse. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, when the world is compromised, or sorry, the church is compromised, and it's living like the world, and it yeah. looks no different, it's yeah. just as dysfunctional as the world, yeah. then the world looks at the church and goes, you know what, you can keep your wisdom. We're not interested in it. We, we really don't want to see that. That's right. And yet, when there's a paradigm that is, is whole and integrated, yep. uh, and it works, they go, how do you get your kids to respect you and obey you? How do you guys have such a good marriage? How are you able to have such a successful business, even in the midst of all this economic turmoil? Well, then all of a sudden there's this open door to be able to point to the source of this. And so I believe that as we have this uh, revival in the home, so yes. to speak, yes. that we'll begin to see revival in the church that will, that will attract people to the wisdom of the righteous. And, and then this, this aspect of to have a people prepared for the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know, that really is, I think, what revival looks like, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's the yeah. ungodly coming to know Christ. Yes. But then it's a holy, purified, sanctified mm -hmm. church yes. uh, with, with the white wedding dress yes. ready for the groom. I love it. Prepared for the Lord. Yes. But, but I, I think it's just interesting that God ties that in, in Luke 117 with, with parenting. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I know there's a lot of places on Nehemiah's wall to work. There's the pro-life issue. Right, right. You know, there's the civil uh, magistrate right. issue, you know, of, of the civil government and, and people who contend in that sphere uh, with biblical righteousness and biblical yep. justice. Yep. There's people who, you know, contend on the, the Bible teaching and expository, you know, uh, expounding the word and, you know, discipling. There's all those different, very important yeah. fronts, and they're yep. all important, and everybody needs to work where God's placed them. But I feel like God's kind of put me in this little slot here with this message to families. I love it. This is important. It's, it's not all, it's not the whole picture. No, it's not, but it's, it's very, important. very, very important. 
And one, one thing, Israel, I, I've often said that, that a man's sinful reaction to stress hmm. is to become passive, whereas a woman's sinful reaction to stress is get her fingernails out and try to fix it. And, you know, in, in 1 Peter 3, it says, be like Sarah, who tr ultimately trusted her husband, called him Lord. She, she, she pulled back in her control. Before she wanted to oh, just marry Hagar and let's have a baby that way. And, you know, so she pulled back. And, you know, Adam was with Eve when she ate the fruit, it says. You know, he didn't step up. And, and, and so, you know, Christian men that you, you speak to, that I speak to, we they've got to go against their natural sense of of of, of passivity. I, I say jokingly, I say, who's my my favorite biblical character as far as a man? It's Indiana Jones. That's a joke, of course. <laughs> but you know, Indiana Jones, what does he do? Whenever there's a he moves toward the problem. They say, Indiana, what are you going to do when you get there? He said, I'll think of something. Well, we Christ followers in real life can say. I'm going to go for that out of control toward that out of control teenager or toward my wife who's kind of angry and, you know, not close. I'm going to, I'm going to rather than go play golf or watch TV, uh, I'm going to move toward the problem. What are you going to do when you get there? Lord will show me what to do. God will show up. Don't you agree that it's, 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 we need to have courage. We need to move yeah. toward the problem. So true. Yeah, because we're not the one that wins the battle. That's right. We're supposed to show up. You know, yeah. you, you, you go like Gideon, right? You have yeah. your trumpet, you have your clay pot, you have your torch. You know, that didn't win a battle. That's God right. won the battle. That's but right. But he had to show up. That's right. And so I think that's what we have to do. I think, you know, it's like uh, G.K. Chesterton, the British author, one time yeah. he said, Christianity hasn't been found, uh, hasn't been, been uh, tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's been yeah. the passivity that you're talking about where oh. people are too scared and they measure every situation and condition based on their own capacity. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. I, I talked with a guy this last week who told his wife, I want a divorce. He's got a beautiful wife and two beautiful little children. Now mm -hmm. three, he's got three little ones now. Oh. He told his wife, I want a divorce. Raising a Christian home, both of them. Oh, uh, sad. And I had a long conversation, a couple hour conversation on the phone and I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't real polite. You know, I just, you're I pretty blunt. That's okay. Guy. I like I that like, about I'm you. upset with him. And I just said, man, you're throwing your life away. Yeah. You're just throwing your life away. That's right. But he said, I just don't, I just don't feel like I can fix this. I said, you can't, you can't fix you it. Can't That's fix right. It. But, but what a small God, view of God can. Yeah. What a small view of God that, that God is limited to your capacity, oh. you know, have some courage. And so I, I agree with you entirely. I think we, if we would show up, Yes. With our five loaves and our, our two fish. I love it. Yes. God would show up and create food for a multitude. Yes. Because that's what he does. Yes. That's his part of this. I love it. We, but we have to show up. We have to show up with the five stones and the slingshot. We have to take that bloody first step of obedience. It's not simple. But that's once right. you take that step, God shows up and he, he, saw, he, he loves you and he's almighty. But you have to take that step of obedience. Yeah, ask Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. That, okay, yeah. we can use that. Yeah, there you go. Show up. I love like, it. I'm not good at talking. Show up. <laughs> Just show, like, I'm going to do this for you. I'm that's, going to do this for you. Uh, you know, and good. so there's just so many ways and yep. so many times I think God will show himself strong. That's good, Israel. Show up. 
Well, and, this has been uh, a sweet time. We may have to we may have to pick this up again. This, this, I feel like we're just getting warmed up because you and I are singing out of the same hymn book, brother. Well, I knew when I first met you and your lovely wife that uh, we share a similar heart. We we, and, we do, uh, and I'm we grateful do. for you and the leadership that you provide. Well, and uh, just right the, the maturity and the stability, you know, that you have represented. Well, all, uh, for the all glory, community. all glory to God, as you know, all glory. Yeah. But thank you, and I'm so proud blessing. of you. Would you close us in prayer? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you love us and that you are good despite our failings and yeah. despite our weaknesses. Uh, you still choose us. Uh, you continue to choose us and you invite mm. us to join you in your work. Mm. Lord, I do pray that you would give us courage, mm. that we would be willing to just show up and have faith that you're going to do something big. Yes. And uh, I've seen it. I know Randy's seen it over and over again. That mm. That's what you do. Yes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would I encourage our listeners uh, to do the same and to allow you to show yourself strong on their behalf. Give them faith, give them boldness, give them courage, Mm. give them hope for their families, for their marriages, for their their teenagers, for their children, uh, that, Lord, they are not uh, destined to be victims of the winds and the turbulence of this world, Mm. but that they can be overcomers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we trust you for this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this has been a treat. This, this is good stuff. We're proud of you, man, and so thankful for you. So God bless you, and we may have to pick this up again. I think we're just getting warmed up. Yeah, thank you, Ben. All right, God bless. Bye.